The standard model is one of the most important tools physicists use to unravel the mysteries of the universe and even the birth of the universe. Thus, it is most definitely one of the most important aspects of physics. Like the periodic table for chemistry, physics has its own table of even smaller particles known as the standard model of physics. Let's go slowly to understand this conceptually. The periodic table is a table of the various elements we have found so far. What is an element? Well, we know that matter is made of these particles known as molecules, right? They are the physical constituents of matter. Molecules are usually made of one or more atoms. The differences between these atoms categorize them as different elements. Now, for a long time, we thought atoms to be the smallest particles in the universe and were indivisible. But of course, you and me both know that there are even smaller particles which comprise the atom, namely the proton, neutron, and electron. Now, similar to the periodic table, as I said above, the standard model has a set of standard particles, which are the smallest particles we know of today. In order to understand the physics behind these particles and their functions, you must first know a bit about the protons, neutrons, and electrons themselves. Nothing too much, just that the protons and neutrons are very similar in mass and lie at the atom center in the nucleus. In addition, the electrons have almost no mass compared to protons and neutrons and revolve around the atom in orbits. Lastly, that a proton has a positive charge, an electron has a negative charge, while the neutron has absolutely no charge. Now we shall get into even smaller particles, the particles in the standard model. Now let's get into the standard model. The standard model comprises of two major types of particles. Matter particles, known as fermions, and force carrier particles known as bosons. Just think of fermions as being firm, as they're particles of mass, which don't cause any force. Bosons, on the other hand, while some do have mass, are mainly responsible for the various forces in the universe, like electromagnetism. Matter is formed mainly by fermions, and while there are technically bosons inside all of matter, they don't actually add to the mass of the substance, but instead mediate certain forces which keep the mass together. There are 12 fermions in total, 6 being quarks and 6 being leptons. These are two subcategories in fermions specifically, the difference between which I will explain shortly. Now, each of these elementary particles, as they are called, have three main properties. Mass, electric charge, and another very important one known as quantum spin. We will get into spin a bit later, but for now let's focus on the particles themselves. Firstly, of the six quarks, two of them happen to be two of the most important particles in the entire model, the up and down quarks. The up quark and the down quark are the two particles which actually make up protons and neutrons. You see, a proton is made of two up quarks and one down quark, while a neutron is made of two down quarks and one up quark. This is why their masses are almost the same. Now we've understood what protons and neutrons are made of. What about the other subatomic particle in an atom? The electron. 
Well, remember when I said electrons have almost no mass compared to the protons and neutrons? This is for the simple reason that the electron by itself is actually an elementary particle, a lepton to be specific. So we can see how there are three and only three elementary particles that we need to make any substance or mass. Just the up quark, the down quark, and electrons. So what are all the other particles for? Why do they exist? To be very honest, for now at least, these particles are just used to understand more about the standard model. These particles are actually not found in nature as they can only be formed in high energy collisions, like those in particle accelerators. Let's step back for a moment and create a visual image. Imagine an atom which has three key particles, a proton, neutron, and electron. The proton is comprised of two up quarks and a down quark, while the neutron is comprised of two down quarks and an up quark. The electron by itself is an elementary particle and is one of the leptons. The six leptons and six quarks together are the fermions, which are matter particles. These particles are held together by certain force particles known as bosons, some of which have mass and some of which do not. Now, the, since these three particles are the only ones we need to make any substance, what are the other particles? Let me explain. Have you ever heard of nuclear decay? Well, in case you haven't, it is when the nucleus of an atom is so unstable that it cannot stay in that state anymore. So it manages to get rid of some of the mass and charge and decays into a lighter atom. This is done by removing some of the mass in the form of particles, like a proton or a neutron. Well, these elementary particles actually transform into each other through an interaction with one of the force-carrying bosons. So when particles like quarks collide with each other at high energy levels, they in a sense transform into other particles like the strange quark or the charm quark, for example. However, since these particles are very unstable, they decay quickly back into what they were originally. So these particles are only produced for an extremely short amount of time. In fact, one of the properties of these particles is their lifespan as any of these particles exist only for a fraction of a fraction of a second due to their immense instability. Now let's understand a bit more about quarks. There are six distinct quarks arranged in the standard model in three columns known as generations and two rows. They are arranged in such a manner because of their properties as I mentioned before which were mass, spin, and electric charge. One of the defining traits of a quark is that it should have a fractional charge. This means that the charges of all the quarks are fractions. For example, the up quark has a charge of two by three. The down quark has a charge of minus one by three. In fact, all the quarks on the top row have a charge of two by three, while all the quarks on the bottom row have a charge of minus one by three. The top row for reference being the up quark, the charm quark, and the top quark, while the bottom row being the down quark, the strange quark, and the bottom quark, respectively. Next, we go to spin. 
I'll explain what exactly spin is in another episode. But for now, know that every single fermion, whether it be a lepton or a quark, has a spin of 1 by 2. The mass of these particles is measured in mega electron volts by speed of light squared. I'll say that again. Mega electron volts by the speed of light squared. This is simply derived by the formula E equals mc squared, where energy is equal to mass into the speed of light squared. By just reversing the formula to make m the subject, you get energy by light squared, which is the unit for measurement for these particles. It is actually found that the mass of the particles in the standard model increase as you go across the G three generations, again, which are the three columns as you go from left to right. For example, the top quark is on the rightmost column, so it has the greatest mass of that row. The up quark is in the leftmost column, so it is the lightest particle in that row. Moving on, as I said before, the up quark and the down quark are the two particles needed to make protons and neutrons. Knowing that the up quark has a charge of 2 by 3 and the down quark has a charge of minus 1 by 3, we can actually see how they add up to give the charges we know of in protons and neutrons. Firstly, a proton is two up quarks and one down quark, right? So that would be 2 by 3 plus 2 by 3, which are the two up quarks, minus 1 by 3, which is equal to a plus 1, which is the charge of a proton. Similarly, a neutron is two down quarks and one up quark. That would be minus 1 by 3, minus 1 by 3, which are the two down quarks, plus 2 by 3, which is equal to 0. And as we know, neutrons have no charge. So there we can see how exactly the charges add up to give the greater charges of the protons and neutrons. Before we get into leptons, I would like to talk a bit about hadrons. Have you ever heard of the Large Hadron Collider? It is called a Hadron Collider as they collide subatomic particles known as hadrons. Hadrons are basically any subatomic particle made of two or more quarks. We already know two of them, which are the proton and the neutron, because they are made of three quarks each. But believe it or not, there are actually many more hadrons like that. They are known as mesons and baryons. Let's take them on one by one. If you remember in one of my previous episodes, I talked a bit about baryons. They're basically particles formed by three quarks like protons and neutrons. Well, there are many more particles formed when you factor in all the other quarks. For example, the charmed lambda particle is made of one up quark, one down quark, and one charmed quark. Of course, all the particles other than protons and neutrons are actually given names after the mathematical symbols like delta or sigma or omega or lambda. However, these particles, other than the proton and neutron, do not exist naturally for the simple reason that the particles that make them themselves only exist for a short period of time. 
Secondly, we have mesons. Mesons are subatomic particles made of one quark and one antiquark. Now you will ask me what an antiquark is. Let me explain. For every single fermion in the standard model, there is an antiparticle, antimatter, which seems to annihilate both itself and its respective regular matter particle when it comes in contact. For example, if an up quark and an anti-up quark come in contact with each other, they will annihilate each other. So getting back, these mesons had comprised of one quark and an anti-quark. So these particles in a meson don't necessarily have to be of the same type of quark. For example, there can be a meson made of an up quark and an anti-strange quark. Of course, since there is antimatter present, these particles can only exist for an extremely short time. In fact, the lifetime of some of these particles are around 10 raised to minus 23 of a second. So now you know that there are different subatomic particles as well, made of just quarks, the mesons and baryons. Next, we can talk about leptons. As I said before, one of the defining traits of a quark is that it has a fractional electric charge. Well, as it turns out, one of the defining traits of a lepton is that it has an integral charge, which means each lepton has a charge of a whole number. In fact, there are technically only three true leptons, one of them being the electron, and the other two being its incredibly heavier brothers, the muon and tau. All of these particles have a charge of minus one, and are located on the top row of the leptons. Now, there are technically three other leptons, and they are the neutrinos. Neutrinos are one of the most abundant particles in the universe, and carry almost no mass and no charge. In fact, they're given the name of ghost particles, as they actually pass through you almost all the time, and they're very hard to detect. Well, then why are they coined as leptons? For a few reasons, actually. Firstly, they do have an integral charge, albeit they have the charge of zero, but integral nonetheless. Secondly, leptons are particles which do not interact with one of the fundamental forces in the universe, known as the strong force. Neutrinos don't interact with this force either. Thirdly, leptons are also supposed to interact with this weak force. Again, something that neutrinos do. Lastly, scientists have found that there are actually three different neutrinos, each one associated in some sense with one of the other three leptons. In fact, in the standard model, each neutrino is placed below the other lepton it is related to. For example, the neutrino below the electron is the electron neutrino. So to sum up, there are six leptons. On the top row, there is the electron, the muon, and the tau. Below, on the bottom row, there are three neutrinos, the electron neutrino, the muon neutrino, and the tau neutrino. Neutrinos come into play more in particle and radioactive decay. So again, we shall get into more detail about neutrinos in another episode. Okay, so we are finally done with the fermions. 
And now it's time to talk about the bosons. Remember, bosons are force-carrying particles, which are responsible for the fundamental forces of the universe. There are five bosons totally, divided in the following manner. Four gauge or vector bosons and one scalar boson. We'll talk about the vector bosons first. For now, keep in mind that vector involves both direction and magnitude, while scalar is dependent only on magnitude. Firstly, there is the gluon. The gluon is the carrier of one of the four fundamental forces, the strong force. This is the strongest of the fundamental forces and is actually the force which holds the nucleus together in an atom. However, here comes another difference between quarks and leptons actually. Quarks are the only particles which will interact with the strong force. Leptons don't. Do you see how incredible the universe is? How incredibly intricate each detail is? To the smallest detail that only quarks can interact with the strong force, which is by extension responsible for every substance in the world even existing. Anyways, getting back to topic, the strong force holds together quarks inside the nucleus. So it is so incredibly strong, which is why when we split the atom in nuclear fission, there is so much energy that is generated. You can think of it as glue. The glue on is responsible for holding a few things together, much like glue, except the things the glue on is holding together are quarks inside the nucleus of an atom. Next, we have the photon. The photon, as many of you may already know, is the quanta of light, or our light particles. However, in terms of particle physics, they are much more than just that. You see, photons are the carriers of one of the four fundamental forces, electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is a force responsible for many interactions that occur in the universe. Firstly, electromagnetic radiation and waves is the medium by which light travels. In fact, electricity and magnetism are also just forms and manifestations of this force. However, one of the most important processes occur due to this force is inside an atom. As you know, opposite charges attract each other, right? And one of the most important things in an atom is that the positive protons in the nucleus have to attract the negative electrons around it. Scientists postulated that perhaps there is a force between the two charged particles that holds them together. This later came to be known as the electromagnetic force, one of the four fundamental forces of the universe. In essence, the electromagnetic force is just the exchange of photons. Basically, when the positively charged nucleus attracts the negatively charged electron, there's a bond created through the exchange of photons between them. This is the essence of electromagnetism, which requires the exchange of photons. When you look at it from this point of view, photons in the electromagnetic force and are really responsible for charge attraction in general. So to sum up, Photons are carriers of the electromagnetic force, one of the fundamental forces of the universe, and travel through electromagnetic waves at the speed of light. The exchange of these particles
causes this force to occur at the atomic level and is what keeps the negatively charged electrons inside the atom attracted to the positively charged nucleus. Lastly, we have the W and Z bosons. These are the carriers of the last fundamental force described in the standard model, the weak force. This force is actually not the weakest force, it is stronger than gravity, but it only works at a really small scale. This force is the force responsible for particle decay and is the interaction which can change elementary particles into different ones. One would think this isn't as important, but it really is. This force influences one of the most important processes in our entire solar system, nuclear fusion. I will get into much more detail for this topic in one of the next episodes discussing decay. But essentially what happens is that the weak force causes a proton to decay into a neutron in order to create a stable helium nucleus. Since this is a very complex topic, we will cover it completely in the next episode. So to sum up, there are four fundamental forces in the universe, three of which are described in the standard model. As you see, the gluon is responsible for the strong force. The photon is responsible for the electromagnetic force and the W and the Z bosons are responsible for the weak force. And these are the four vector bosons in the standard model. The other fundamental force is actually not described in the standard model and is none other than gravity. The standard model is part of a larger theory known as quantum field theory which states that every single force is governed by a particle and a field. This theory in a sense fails to explain gravity. However, there are circulations and theories that there may be a gravity particle exchanged when the force of gravity takes place and some call it the graviton. We are done discussing the fermions and the gauge bosons. All that is left is the one scalar boson known as the Higgs boson. This particle is probably the most important one and probably the most famous one in the standard model. So much so that it is sometimes referred to as the God particle. This is because it is the Higgs boson which causes almost every phenomenon and every process in the entire universe to take place. You see, shortly after the Big Bang, every particle that formed had zero mass until it interacted with this invisible force field known as the Higgs field. Interacting with this field is what gives particles mass. The photon and gluon are particles which are known to have a zero mass and so they do not interact with this field at all. Now remember how I said the Higgs boson was the only scalar boson? This is because it causes a scalar field dependent solely on magnitude and not at all on direction, unlike the vector fields like the electromagnetic field, for example. In fact, every single quantum particle associated with a vector field has an intrinsic angular momentum known as quantum spin, as I mentioned before. However, the Higgs boson is the first elementary particle we have found without a spin at all. 
So particles interact with this field to different extents to get the masses that they have. For example, the top quark is the heaviest subatomic particle, while the electron is the lightest. Scientists believe both particles to be about the same size, yet they differ in masses greatly. Why? This is simply because the top quark interacts with the Higgs field more than the electron. And again, since the photons and gluons do not interact with it at all, they have no mass. To understand this conceptually, we can think of an analogy. In fact, the British Minister of Science challenged scientists to invent or come up with a simple way to explain the Higgs field and its effects. The explanation with one was a simple analogy of a group of physicists in a room. Imagine a crowd of physicists in a room talking to each other. If a person were to walk into the room, say a janitor, not many people would pay attention to his presence since it's a room filled with physicists and they wouldn't have much to talk about with the janitor. Thus, the janitor can move across the entire room quickly, not interacting much with the people. However, if a famous scientist were to enter, say Peter Higgs himself, people would immediately pay attention to him, clumping around him, trying to talk to him. As a result, Higgs would be progressing across the room much slower than the janitor, as he's interacting with the people more. This represents a particle interacting with the field and how it gains mass. In a sense, this Higgs field slows the object down, causing it not to move at the speed of light, which a photon does, for example, since it's massless. So this is the Higgs field. What exactly is the Higgs boson? Let me explain. In most fields, in quantum field theory, particles are generally excitations or clumps. If we go back to our analogy, we can see how this happens. If someone enters the room and says something to the people closest to the entrance, only they would hear it and not the people at the back. Thus, the scientists move closer to the entrance to hear this information. They then clump together, passing the information on across the room. As this occurs, the information is passing across the room through clutters of people. And since it was originally these clutters which gave mass to Peter Higgs in the last example, this clutter by itself must also have mass. This is what the Higgs boson is. Just a cluttering, an excitation, a concentration in the Higgs field. The standard model is one of the most important tools physicists use to unravel the mysteries of the universe and even the birth of the universe. Thus, it is most definitely one of the most important aspects of physics. With this, we are done with today's episode on the standard model. See you next time on For the Love of Astrophysics, where we will be discussing particle decay.